This is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And boy, have we got some of that today. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be talking about the book of Ecclesiastes because we needed to start with something heavy this year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we needed to start with something real. That's right. Something absolutely real. Something and, and not only this is this is too big for just the two of us, Julie. Yeah. It's just okay. too big. Do you have help? Yes, I do. Oh thank goodness. I, I brought uh Tommaso Todesca. Hello, hello Tom. Hello. How hello, are you? Hey. How are you? So Tom <laughs> is a booktuber and uh he, he listens to our podcast and apparently he met you, Julie, on Goodreads. And uh, he's just a heck of a fun person. So um, I know him from BookTube is where I first met him. He has a channel called Tom L.A. Books. And on that channel, he does stuff like uh, he's going through Dante's Inferno one canto at a time. Wow. And it is fantastic. It's just a lot of fun. And... um, yeah, he he and I are in this little group on BookTube. I'm not so actively making videos anymore, but when I watch Tom, I want to do one. Um, but he, uh, there, there's this little group of people that we've gotten to to, to become friends with, and, and Tom's definitely one of those folks. He interacts with a lot of the same people that I do. Um, but And he knows Julie from things like Goodreads and uh, Julie's Happy Catholic blog and... Um, well, we're just and, around. And we're just around, around right. There. Isn't it funny? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the neighborhood. It's, it's one of those things, you know, where Tom and I got to talking and I said, yeah, I do this podcast. I do it with Julie at Happy Catholic. And he's like, you're kidding me. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's just fantastic stuff. But anyway, Tom, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank yes. you, both of, uh, both of you guys. It's uh, great to have uh, encountered you guys in this vast virtual sea. The, the you know we we were in the neighborhood and yeah. we were kind of circling each other for some time and I'm very glad that we finally get together. <laughs> That's wonderful. So um, clearly you you have an accent. I would just love to know where you're from, as uh, some folks listening probably do too. I was born and raised in Italy, Italia, ah. and uh, that's uh, my country. I, I lived there until I was uh, 19, almost 20. Um, then moved to London. And lived in London for a while, and now I live in sunny Los Angeles. <laughs> Very nice. I love it. I love it. We're and you're, and you're 27, 27 years old now, is my guess. Yeah, just <laughs> one, one, one year more, one year less. Uh, actually, uh, congratulations, by the way. No, no I'm, I'm really good at guessing ages, Tom. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Uh, but you had but, me going. I believe you. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. So, uh, you, uh, sunny L.A., how, how are you liking it there? Um, I will, uh, me and my wife, we love L.A. It's, uh, it's, it was a cultural shock to move from uh, London, from Los Angeles, not, not only because they are probably the most different type of uh, weathers and climates in the world uh, when you compare the two cities, but also... In many other respects, you know, you have London, everything is kind of crammed together and there is no space for anything and everybody is pushing each other. 
here there's nothing but space and uh, you have um, uh, you know you have a yard which in London you know if you want to have a little bit of grass you have to pay two million pounds uh, and so it's it's a very very different uh, uh, culture as well um, mm -hmm. meaning that um, for us we are I, th I, I like to think of uh, me and my wife as uh, uh, pretty flexible and adaptable but uh, and so we love many things about London and many things about LA but uh, the difference in culture is pretty radical, I would say. Uh, wow, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I've never been to London, but that is some a place that I really, really want to go to. So, I never got to live there, mm -hmm. but I visited both London and L.A. And, of yeah. course, yes, I never even thought about the physical geography. But yeah. L.A. was someplace I never wanted to visit because they make it look so boring on TV shows. Just highway <laughs> and downtown and people chasing murderers and stuff. We're on the freeway and I'm like, look at these Spanish houses on the hillside. Look at these palm trees. Oh my God, let's move here now. You know, so I fell in love with it right away. I love it. I love it. So, yeah. And it's where the movies come from. Yes. That's what I've heard. That's, <laughs> that's where the... Hollywood culture comes from, which uh, is 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 not always the best type of culture. In mm -hmm. uh, in my life experience, my personal experience, and I think this might be a, a funny little detail for for your listeners too. Um, I was a an exchange student when I was fifteen um, from Italy. Uh, I spent one year in Michigan, of all mm -hmm. places, mm -hmm. and uh, to learn English, etc. And the first moment. When I arrived uh, in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, I looked at the at the streets and the houses and the, and the cars, and the way my brain reacted after year after year after year of uh, uh, Hollywood colonization of my brain of my mind mm. was uh, a feeling of almost coming back, coming back home <laughs> to where things look and feel like they should be. Mm. Wow. So, that is really weird if you think yeah. about it, right? From from their point of view, for sure. Um, oh and uh, and so it was a, a cultural shock. It, it helped me immensely for the rest of my life to be, as I said, a little bit more adaptable, maybe. Uh, so I'm. It's an experience that I'm very grateful about. Mm. I love it. What a great story. That is great. Absolutely. Well, welcome, welcome. We're so happy yes. to have you. We're, I can't wait to Thank talk you. with yes. you about this. <laughs> and you brought us something. You brought us the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, straight from sunny LA. Straight from sunny LA. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, so what, what are your thoughts here? Why, why, why were you thinking you'd like to, to talk about this book? Um, it's, I'm fascinated by Ecclesiastes. I'm, I think I fell in love with uh, Ecclesiastes a few years ago when I read a book by Cardinale, Cardinale Ravasi. Um, is, I believe it's from Milan and uh, is still alive, is, um, lives and, and works in Italy. And uh, he um, is, an, is kind of a, a, one of the most prominent uh, uh, Italian theologians. So he wrote oh, many uh. books. One of these is uh, a book on uh, Coelet. And so I picked up this book without uh, almost... Uh, only, only knowing a little, little bit about uh, uh, the book, and uh, he goes in such depth 
in the exegesis, in the meaning of it, also in the, let's say, philological analysis of, of the text that uh, I wouldn't, I, I hadn't expected to be so, that I would have, that I was going to be so interested in, in the book itself, but I actually was, and I, I couldn't put it down, you know, mm. um, to the point that uh, um that's one of those books. <laughs> it kind of reminds me, Julie, of something I think you wrote in your Happy Catholic, where you get so excited sometimes about a book and you want to talk about it to some, somebody in your family, but they don't always are receptive. They're not always completely <laughs> open to... <laughs> Somehow, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas at the dinner table is not where they want to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're describing my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was one of those situations um but in, in any case that's uh, <clears throat> a, a, a piece of uh, ancient ancient uh, wisdom and philosophy that uh, after reading this book i i kept going back to um i realized that it has impacted our culture immensely oh man um, yeah right left yeah. and right from mm-hmm. uh, um, there are some. Uh, there is actually one specific poem by, and I'm thinking about the Italian literature. One specific poem by Giacomo Leopardi that he titled um, "Assestesso," which means uh, "to myself" or "to himself," where uh, he purposely followed the structure of uh, Ecclesiastes, and uh, and while writing this poem, um, he in other he, he kind of used different words so he rearticulated the same concepts that are used by by Coelet in the, in the book and uh, of course it's a very beautiful poem but you get to the end of it and uh, <laughs> you know there's, there's no light in the room anymore you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that puff of air yeah um, yeah yeah that's so interesting because and i know how a book can really or you know somebody elucidating can really just open something up so you never see it the same way again. And um, I really wish I knew Italian and then I could read that book you're talking about. It sounds amazing. <laughs> but um, I had to make do with getting uh, Peter Kreeft's, um Three Philosophies of Life, which is about um, Ecclesiastes, Job, and the Song of Songs. And it's, right. you know, yeah. um, talking about how um, yeah, Ecclesiastes is asking the hard questions and it's got no good answer. Job is halfway in between, kind of hopeful, but not really all there. And then Song of Songs, the answer is, of course, love. That's the meaning of life. And I had been waiting for years, I don't know why, for an excuse to get it. So I was so glad you picked this. I immediately bought it. <laughs> and and uh, thank you, Julie, because uh, after you mentioned this one, I, I also... Um, found a copy for me and I, I have a copy here of the three philosophies of life. So yeah. as did I, yep. I have one oh, right here as well. well I, I, yeah. I'm sure it cannot even come close to that Italian <laughs> one, but yeah. um, well, for me, it was helpful in looking at it against those two other books. Mm. Um, because what you're saying is true. It is, <laughs> we're living out Ecclesiastes musings, would you say? Um, because it's so secular yeah. and so modern. And it's so funny because I looked at it and went, uh, it's a great choice, but I hate reading this darn thing because it's just like some 
to me, it's like a middle-aged wannabe hipster. Oh, here's how it works, man. It's like this. And they don't have a good answer, so they're just going to be very um, sarcastic and everything. And my daughter, Rose, says, oh, she thinks this book is hilarious because it reminds her of a sulky teenager. <laughs> kind of throwing these things out there like, oh, yeah, and this thing, too. <laughs> so she's always smiling when she reads it. And I thought that was such funny, those two different reactions. Yeah. It is. It is. It, um, it, it really um, it, it really hits me. There are two things that if you ask me why, you know, why in your life is Ecclesiastes so memorable? Because of two reasons. The first reason, and maybe you guys can tell me your thoughts about this, is um, a most maybe uh, uh, technical reason. And uh, it is why. Why is this uh, ball of darkness and despair in the Bible, which, uh, yes, it, it's a book of uh, many flavors and many different colors, and, and, and it's a book of everything, the Bible, yes, I, I understand that, but not like this, come on, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is really the first point that fascinates me. As soon as I understood and I read it the first time, I wonder, are you sure this is actually part of the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed really crazy to me. So yeah. what do you guys think? Well, I, uh, when, when I read it, uh, well, especially this time, I, I read it twice in about the last couple of weeks. And um, for me, it was like, I, I have felt this way. It, I, it, I understood it, right? Because I have felt pointlessness and and sometimes i feel pointlessness you know on a on a daily uh, uh a daily occurrence sometimes you know um so it really worked for me because i was reading it and i was saying i i can see i can see what this is saying um so for me it was really a personal thing on this this reading and for me i looked at it and um i have always thought it made me admire whatever teachers put it in. Mm. I just thought that is so brave and honest to say people feel like this. Mm. We should let them talk about it and we should consider it and think about it ourselves. <clears throat> because yeah. what yeah. is the answer? We don't know what the, this person doesn't give us an answer. The, a couple lines at the end, kind of like, oh yeah, and, you know, and trust God. But, um, but after all this other stuff, like I love that phrase "bowl of darkness" because no kidding, <laughs> you put your spoon in, you're not getting it back out. Um, but it's I just thought anybody who will set that down and let just people come across it. I mean, I know there's a there's a little bit of introduction and ending they say, and mm-hmm. then the narrators in the middle, yeah. but it's not a ton of help. Yeah, it's uh, I, you know what your the words you used, Julie, um, really um, uh, reminded me of uh, my obsession, which is Dante. And uh, <laughs> there is a Scott has a little bell that's gonna ring every time I say Dante. So. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> Ding, love it. <laughs> Sorry, about that. I love it. Yeah, it, it really reminds me that because you mentioned, you know, the. Despair is a, a brave and honest way to go at uh, your feeling, at, at your moment of reality. And uh, automatically, I thought about Dante going down to hell 
as the only way to then reach the real truth, the real light. Uh. And, so, and, and in other in other words, um, for uh, let's say to try and make it personal, I would say whenever I want to make a real effort and be as honest as pos- as I possibly can, then I try to go in the you know in the negative feeling direction because I know that it's easier to when I'm weak to find myself there and there pull myself out towards the the right direction. I don't know if, if it may I, I hope it makes a little oh, sense. Oh that's interesting because mm. for me if I'm feeling weak okay I, I'm just gonna say it I just keep going you know I'm like okay fine I, this feels great I'm loving it. <laughs> and um and so i don't go into despair like that um but that is the place where you do find yourself because everything else is stripped away and so maybe to me what you're saying is almost like it's that idea that um the person who hasn't suffered has never really grown Mm. if you're not catholic this is going to sound maybe too extreme um to anybody who's listening but there's a famous quote from some saint, and of course I don't have it in front of me, but they're just basically saying the suffering in your life, this is why you have the little suffering all the time. And there's many saints who picked this up and the big things that you're sent that you can't get around. That's the suffering that you have to either embrace it as a Christian would or Catholic would and kind of go, yes. all right, whatever God gives me, this is for a reason and I'm going to do my best and you can do what, God wants, hopefully, and get through it, but that's where you learn who you are, because you only have you, and you only have God, and for me, I hate to skip ahead a little bit, but for me, reading this now, the whole key, of course, is the author didn't have the key yet. Jesus is the key that unlocks the book. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's uh, uh, that's very well said. You know, very very well said. I'm uh, uh, so, you know, the the example of uh, of Dante being in a, in a moment of despair and trying to cut corners by running up the hill because he can see the sun up there, oh, yeah. but then uh, being attacked by the beasts and uh, and having Virgil telling him, hold on. <laughs> Hold on, you need to do the whole and, and a whole entire itinerary and journey before you can get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. So, so that's you know mm-hmm. uh, that's the first uh, um, big question and uh, fascinating characteristic of this book. Why is there? Why is in the Bible? Uh, and obviously, we can discuss about that. I. I, I don't have the, the real answer. I've read here and there from scholars. Um, the second point that I wanted to bring to you guys is, and that really attracts me to uh, Ecclesiastes, is this um, maybe doctrinal uh, doctrinal discussion or doctrinal um, dispute, maybe, where um, Cardinal Ravasi, he is part of the biblical scholars, who um, support the fact that the the last the final verses of the book were a later medieval interpolation? Oh wow! Um, mm-hmm. Especially those uh, uh, verses that seem to be um, seem to be twisting the entire tone of of the book from negative to positive, right? 
and uh, and that it, it really if if they are if they are uh, let's say part of the same text of the ancient text then we can read it we can read the entire text under the light of uh, the let's say divine support and therefore um, we can read it as someone who is telling us about this uh, um, teacher or this koelet who is uh, telling us of, of their dark thoughts, but in the end draws his own conclusions and to us, the readers, tells, uh, hey, don't worry because God is on your side and uh, uh, you have light, to, uh, you have hope in the end. Um, to this other group of scholars that Ravasi is part of, these la latest verses um, have basically been included in order to save the book, in order to make it uh, as part of the canon, as part of the Bible, because otherwise it was too, too uh, um, ungodly and too depressing to, to be included. So it's an interesting um, question that I don't think has been uh, resolved, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it really, really fascinates me. So this is a book that they don't have really ancient copies of now somewhere? I mean, like, no Dead Sea Scrolls had it, and... Um, I, I understand they do not. Okay. Um, only uh, only more, uh, more modern copies, and uh, um, in, in his book, Ravasi unfortunately doesn't say it doesn't go too much in the details of this type of specific study, you know, where the theory comes from. Um, well, the, hmm. of course, then what we have to do is go, and and he could be right, but, and of course we can read the Bible. So then let's talk about how do you read the Bible when something gets raised like that? You can read it and go, well, I think this, because that's opinion. I mean, or if they prove it later fact. Um, yeah. Or you could just say, well, and I'm not espousing one word or the other. I'm just thinking out loud. Is going well, or the but it's been in the canon like this for however long. I mean, I'm really curious now to see what Saint Jerome did. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah. mm -hmm. but you're right because those two things, especially the ending, doesn't have the same feel. It's like looking at something that's tacked in in wisdom, the book of wisdom or Proverbs. Maybe yeah. where you've got the, all the things about don't put a lattice next to your daughter's upstairs window. Don't do this. Don't do that. Or syrup. Yeah. Or that's and a, then, and then yeah. now. That's the exactly summary. the point. <clears throat> yeah. That's really the point that, that strikes my interest. The fact that after having read that, I didn't take any side. I still don't take any side, you know, one side or the other. But I went back to the text and I reread it and and I had a moment like, oh, this really sounds <laughs> attached, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. It has a different voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, is very interesting. Well, yeah. and they do say it's, um, it's an editor or an author, a different author instead of the narrator. In the way I'm, I used, uh, I looked at a Catholic introduction to the Bible, which you know, Scott, mm -hmm. the Old Testament. Yeah. And Did also you? I read the Navarra um, book the translation mm. was it's it's the rsv but it's with their commentary which always has church fathers and stuff it's good um they didn't really talk about that specific thing except to say that if you want to you can look at this and feel like it fixes the book um <laughs> you know 
And they're quoting Teresa of Avila going, you know, anything that doesn't contribute to God, you don't have to pay attention to. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was kind of interesting also, where they were kind of giving it credence that way. That's a great quote. That's a great quote. I, I actually read the interior castle for the first time only three months ago. So I have it fresh in me. Thanks really? For that. Yes. Thank oh, you. That's, that's such a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So I have the um, Ignatius Catholic Study Bible version. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's a revised standard version, second edition. And of uh, its place in canon, it does say there was some dispute in early Judaism over whether or not to include Ecclesiastes in the canon, but the matter was eventually resolved in its favor. In the Hebrew Bible, Ecclesiastes is grouped among the five scrolls called the Megolith, Megaloth, Megaloth, which were traditionally read on Jewish feast days, the, other, the four others being the Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, and Esther. Ecclesiastes was read at the yearly Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating the end of the harvest season, perhaps because of passages that speak of a time to laugh. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, the very end of this little section, it says, the church seems to have accepted the scriptural status of Ecclesiastes from the start. Yeah, see, that's such a great point because um, it focuses on the poetic power of the book and mm. uh, and that is immense, isn't it? I mean, it absolutely it's, yeah. it's got a grandiosity about it that you can rarely, rarely find in a, in a po- in any poem, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it's also talking about um, these are things that I I kind of like reading it also and going, they're worried about this way back then too. There were that, people just as cynical <laughs> way back then too. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Scott. No, no, no. I'm not. Don't be sorry. Um, I'm just agreeing with you. I, yeah, yeah, it's uh, and it's that thing too where I'm listening to you talk about them reading it at the feast of booths, tabernacles, and I'm thinking that means Jesus would have heard this all the time. That's right. I wonder what he thought when he heard it. I wonder if it was just him going, there's Pilate, I'm headed for him. Like, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It, he's talking to Pilate and that's who he's talking to is the <laughs> guy who wrote Ecclesiastes. And um, I think about the idea too, that it's important enough now, since we're talking about this in the Catholic introduction to the old Testament, they say that it is given, it's not hardly ever read during um, the liturgy for obvious reasons, but in ordinary time, week seven, there's seven different big sections of it that get read and put in the office of readings along with different saints who are commenting on these sections. Oh. Yeah, so week seven, so that's in what, a, two, a couple of months, or a, unless it comes after Lent this year. Anyway, so... Um, it's interesting because you've got so people like St. Maximus the Confessor talking about charity, St. Gregory of Nyssa, who did a homily on it, St. Jerome, St. Columban, St. Gregory of uh, somewhere with a mm. long name with an A. Anyway, <laughs> so you have all these people who've really pondered these things deeply and obviously are drawing things up, but it's making them think of one way or the other. So in that sense, it's also good because we also need to ponder these things. Like you were saying, Scott, what about when we feel this way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, we, we think about these things as modern people, 
and we're lamenting, you know, our phones and all the stuff we have to do every day and the commute, you know, all these things. And then you read this and you're like, the people that didn't have that were thinking these same things about how, you know, how pointless some of this stuff is. Um, you know, that, that's really something significant. Yeah. Um, and I loved, yeah. you know, well, Peter Kreeft was talking about how modern it was, you know, it's existential and it shows modernity's greatest fear, right? Which he says, yeah. um, so he said the fear of death was ancient man's deepest fear and the fear of sin or guilt or hell was medieval man's greatest fear. And he said, but the fear of meaninglessness Yes. Yeah, the fear of nothingness. That's yes. that's the modern man's biggest fear. The, yes. Yeah. That's so yeah, so interesting there because it gives you really the the idea of how between uh, you know the first centuries of Christianity um, and uh, only maybe a couple of centuries ago, um, you know the the fabric of society was built around God. And so all the the worst fears and darkness were always going in the in the opposite direction to God, but always but never putting it or only very rarely putting it in, in doubt his own his own exist, existence. While uh, before and after <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. especially especially in our times uh the existence of God is very much put in doubt and uh, and therefore, we get to this place, which is the darkest possible place where a human being can get, because, because uh, you know, death and life. Whenever you have God, in theory, can all can both be approached with joy, but yes. uh, but but uh, meaninglessness—that is the worst thing possible. That's what we clinically call depression today, and uh, it's the darkest pit of our existence. No. Yeah, very, you know, you, you, I wonder how the modern person who is pulling away from things like the church are dealing with this. And I guess the answer is maybe not so well. Um, you know, you talk about uh, depression and things, which seems to be on the rise in, in this modern time. Oh, yeah. You know, what, well, what, is, what is their answer to this very book, <laughs> you know? Well, the thing is, too, this was written in a time, or at least so I read, that they weren't sure about life after death. You know, there was a mm. large period of the Old Testament where that wasn't really something that people counted on. You can see mm-hmm. hints of it. You can see different people who will say things that you could take that way. But it's not solidified till maybe during or after the Babylonian exile. But um, anyway, when this was written, that was all up in the air. So they were very much mm. in the same place, as you point out, Tom, that people are now and now people don't even have the luxury of going to the the stupid idols up on the hilltops like they did (laughs) back then they got their iphone but they don't know it's an idol and they're worshiping it they've got whatever it is you know we all do it it's what are we tearing ourselves away from there it was a lot more obvious yes yes yeah, and so so that's the the modern um, relevance of a book like this. The fact that it's uh, um, unwittingly or you know indirectly really talking about uh, our century or our couple of centuries, and uh, almost 
shining a dark light, I would say, uh, towards this type of um, lack of... Uh, I, I remember listening to a very nice talk by Bishop Barron uh, once where he, we, where he mentioned what, in his opinion, are the philosophical roots of, of, of this modern current of, uh, you know, not only, not only atheism, but uh, uh, existentialism, maybe, like you were saying before, and, uh, and, and just lack of hope in anything mm-hmm. from an ideological standpoint. Mm-hmm. And um, if I remember correctly, he mentioned uh, William of Hockham as uh, one of the first philosophers to, with his nominalism, to bring up the fact that uh, whatever our words were referring to, God, faith, salvation, hope, were simply words. You know, they were like, to use use Ecclesiastes language, they were just vapor, you know, Mm. something that (laughs) was a a nothing in in itself. And uh, I, I would draw that correlation because from then, I don't. I don't even know exactly what century, which century Ockham lived in. Was it maybe fourteenth uh, or or fifteenth, and uh, or maybe even before? But uh, it sounds like from then on, before him, it sounds like before him, nobody had even thought about questioning the fundamentals. And from that moment on, he kind of opened up this uh, the door to this darkness. He was 1287 to 1347. Oh, okay. That's mm-hmm. really pretty early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, it's it's hard not to think of philosophy uh, like that all the time. I don't know. Sometimes I get into philosophy a little bit and I read it. Um, but I always do reach a point where I think that it's pointless. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, general philosophy. You know, when they when they start to talk about things like, uh, do you really exist? Um, <laughs> do, you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, and then relativism and, you know, things being true at the same time, you know, when, but you're still like, well, when I step out into the street, if it's really me or the bus, it's not both of us, right? It's not this. It's not going to be the same thing, right? So, the so bus is gonna it's win. like, yeah, you can't really live. You don't really live that way, no matter how you convince yourself of some things. And I feel like philosophy sometimes I feel manipulated by it, where you know somebody's kind of leading you down a thing, but but it, you get to some absurdity. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, in, uh, in not having even studied much of philosophy, but weren't back in the ancient Greece the so- sophists, mm. the ones who like oh, Zeno, yeah. for example, the, they came up with uh, these crazy paradoxes on purpose to kind of demonstrate that you can twist words around and and uh, and do exactly what you're saying, Scott, which is um, detach yourself from anything that is useful and meaningful, and go with your words somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and, and I think this is really the point of uh, uh, of where uh, a despair of the kind of Ecclesiastes goes, which is the, uh, a detachment from meaning, a detachment from hope, um, from truth. From truth. There from is, truth. There is a truth, and listening to this is making me think of um, 
1984 where they, you know, two plus two is five and you better mm. say it. Yeah. And right. it, it also, <laughs> Scott, Scott will appreciate this. Mm-hmm. It makes me think I just recently saw the episode of the, um, and, uh, Star Trek Next Generation where poor Captain Picard is captured by the Cardassians. <laughs> how many likes do I have up there? Yeah, that's Four. right. <laughs> no, it's five. Mm-hmm. Four. No, it's five. <laughs> and you know, at the end, he doesn't say it out loud because he's in the nick of time. He's like, I was ready to say it. I was ready to do anything. Mm. You know? Yep, yep. And that's, those are the times we're in right now. I mean, it's taking it that one step further where the words don't mean anything and we will yeah. force you to agree with us. And it, in that sense, it makes me think of uh, Flannery O'Connor, who said, um, the whole, every, the air is full of nihilism. And we can't help it because it's the air we breathe. So we're just soaked with it. And she said, you know, if it wasn't for the church, she'd be the stinkingest nihilist you ever saw. <laughs> and oh, I was like, that's yeah. A good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when Scott, when you said, you know, you felt that despair and everything, and I was thinking, I don't think I've ever felt that because since I was raised with nothing, I had nowhere to go but up, you know? <laughs> so right, yeah. and I was just like, who's there? Anyone? Hello? <laughs> um, and I think of it, though, and go, anybody can have those moments when you're sitting there just going, oh, man, it is all a puff of air. It is all nothing. It is all whatever. And I'm that can be a series of circumstances and all kinds of other things. I also think that is such a plant um, of evil thought. Yeah, You're just being yeah. nudged. And it hardly takes more than a push of a tip of a finger these days because it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it's because you have to be rooted in the truth. And I'm not saying I'm great or anything. Um, it's just you have to know where you can come back to. Yeah, and, and people I, don't have that. Yeah, and I think that that's what this book is actually telling us. Is that's what it's telling me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel often the same way, you know, when, when you're outside and it's a perfectly clear night and you're contemplating the stars and it's so big, you know, have you ever done that? And actually, you know, your stomach kind of flipped. Mm-hmm. I get that yeah. sometimes where I'm just like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you brush up against something and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, mm-hmm. um, but down that road can lie despair, <laughs> right? Yes. But, it, but it is how, you know, like Tom said, you know, you can still greet this with joy. Um, yeah. And as, as the very wise Dr. McCoy once said, even though there, there's this, this world is so vast, right? There's still only one of each of us, um, right. which is an amazing thing, right? It, it's absolutely amazing. But it's the same kind of feeling for me, you know, um, but, but I do reach these points sometimes where I feel like, man, this is really just pointless, but it is, it is God. God is the only one that's big enough to fill it. And the only one that you never reach the end of, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like when, when you're contemplating God and then you start to do things with God in mind, they're no longer pointless. And I think that yeah. that's, that's what Ecclesiastic is, is telling us. <laughs> that's why, this is why I think uh, it's so powerful and, uh, and maybe we are kind of getting at from a certain point of view, the reason why it is in the Bible, because if I try to think about um, a worse place that a human being could be, I can't, you know? Huh? And, and really, so it's almost the really extreme, extreme point um, opposite possible 
um, of somebody who is uh, basking in the light of God. And, and it's right there in the Bible to even, it, by the way, it's kind of funny that it's just before the canticle of, of the canticle because it's so, oh, you know, you yeah. have complete night and then complete um, oh, yeah. day. But uh, um, to, to your point, Julie, I was uh, thinking, maybe actually I was mentioning this to Scott yesterday. I have a good friend who is uh, an atheist and uh, we love each other. We've been knowing each other for a very long time. He's Italian. Uh, but, you know, he's very kind of, I would say, hardcore atheist. Oh. And Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so up to a certain point, our friendship works. But beyond that point, when, uh, especially when he starts to, to um, propose to me his own philosophy, which is, which comes out in sentences like, whatever works your boat you know yeah. i think whatever exactly yeah. whatever works your, your boat is it could be almost the motto of today's relativism couldn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. That, and, could. I, I think that's what you were referring to mm-hmm. yeah exactly it's and i think that maybe i always come back to that truth idea that capital t truth because that's what for my whole life i wanted i was like what is true how do you know if God's true? I just want to know. Just want an answer. That's all. Now, of course, God was like, all right. And now here we are a long way down the road. <laughs> but um, but that's, I was so excited there was a freaking answer. You know, mm. it's like the Ecclesiastes guy. Um, mm. It's funny because I was reading the Peter Kreef thing. He's talking about, you know, um, he's looking for the meaning of life. And then he says, why is life meaningless? And he comes up with all these answers. There's the sameness and indifference of everything. There's death. There's time is an endless repeating cycle. There's evil. Why? God's unknowable. So that's a mystery. And I'm like, of course, we're still trying to answer these questions or defend God as best we can on them (laughs) to people like your friend. But one of the things I was reading in the Navarra Bible made me think, um, surely, well, we know people back in those days had these kinds of answers. This guy just didn't, wasn't interested. But the thing I liked is the Navarra commentary said, time is the backdrop against which salvation history unfolds. Jesus coming into time makes history a dimension of God. So time isn't transitory. It has an eternal dimension. Yeah, Yeah. and it was like love Mm -hmm. dropping into time changed it. It's not endless and repeating, and it's not always the same. And um, which made me think of the liturgical year, Mm. because I still remember discovering the liturgical year and going, this is the coolest thing I ever heard of. (laughs) Wow, and it goes along with the real year. That's even better. And because wow. I love nature and all that, and I'm just looking, going right because every fall we know what fall is, but it's not always the same. Some years it's too hot, mm-hmm. and there's no color. Some years there's tons of color. Some years everything gets cold early. All these things. It's like saying that every cloud is the same. Yeah. And so yeah. when he's looking at this, he he does get specific about stuff, but he also is kind of taking. It's kind of like maybe your friend does, you know, the whatever floats your boat. He's taking the yeah. big picture viewpoint. 
and not getting down on it with how do we live? Because then I thought about how we live and I'm like, but we live by little things too. Every day isn't the same, but every day I eat breakfast. But every day I say hello to my husband and goodbye to my husband. But every day, you know, I do this with my mother, but every day, but it's every day is different. And we live in the days. That's something yes. that reminds me of uh, a thing that Peter Kreeft and I just found it while you were talking that uh, that I highlighted that I loved. He said, "In a secular world, religion is somewhere in life, not vice versa. God is an ingredient in my life rather than I an ingredient in His." And that well, that to me oh. just mirrors what you said. Oh, you that's yeah. perfectly perfectly mirrors that absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it actually reminds me another thing that another atheist friend told me. If I if I may quote mm-hmm. quote another guy, bring um, it. <laughs> he said, "Well, you know, it was a, a simple conversation with an old friend, uh, reconnecting after a few years. Uh, me just telling him, or maybe even just mentioning casually the fact that I um, that for me going to mass was a great uh, support and praying. And his comment to to this was." Uh, Along the very very similar lines, not whatever rocks your boat, but something like, "Oh, you're into that kind of stuff." So, okay, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like as if uh, you're into eating marshmallows, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the like, like, like Scott's quotation. That's really perfect because the location of yourself compared to the truth is 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 very different. It's upside down. Oh, I love yeah. I love that the location of yourself. That's perfect because mm-hmm. that that is what Ecclesiastes does for me. It it helps me put the location of myself in the right place. I think you know what I'm oh. saying. It 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 fixes the location, and I think that when uh, when I get anxious or or something like that, it actually is a location problem. Yeah, it's, it's a not trusting God problem. It's not it. it those are the kinds of things. That need fixed and and location is just a beautiful way to put that. Yeah, um, you know, as you help me reflect about this, I'm uh, I'm thinking of the power of uh, to me of uh, saying a Hail Mary in Italian. I always pray the Hail Mary in Italian because it has such a, an incredibly strong neurobiological power on me uh, because I I was. In Catholic schools, and I repeated it many times in my childhood. <laughs> um, so it's really ingrained. And uh, about this location, you know, it's so weird. We don't know almost anything about brain, our brain today, but uh, uh, we know, at least even from uh, poetry, etc. We know that, you know, people say sentences like, "I went into some place inside myself," or people say something like, "So we kind of move." We have a location inside ourselves as well. Mm. And sometimes is more centered and sometimes is less centered. Um, and when I say the Hail Mary in Italian, I feel like uh, an immense something inside that pulls me, wherever I am, inside myself, straight back to the center. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. I don't know if that happens mm. to you guys as well. Yeah, with certain things, no question. Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, to talk about that, you know, a prayer in Italian, um, you know, th- there are sounds sometimes for me, sound audio for me is somehow a very strong thing. 
But um, like when I, I went to Rome for the first time ever uh, in February of 2020, right before COVID. And one of the things that I like to do because I like audio so much is I take a digital audio recorder and sometimes I just record. I can walk around and just record the ambient sound. And when I listen to that, it puts me right back. Oh, you that's know? great. Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah, with that's so cool. things. Almost like music, right? Like yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's, it's more powerful to me than a photograph. When I hear what a something, good idea. Yeah, that's incredibly cool. I would love to hear some of that if you still have it. Oh, I have I absolutely do. You bet! I'd be happy to share it with you. Yeah, um, but yeah, I do that. You know, throughout my life, I've uh, once I discovered oh. how powerful that was. I've recorded things, you know, off and on. So what a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going. Oh, I know I have something. Hold on, you guys. <laughs> no, I can't. I, uh, <laughs> I know I do, but it may have to go in the show notes because um, mm-hmm. it's funny though. I'm not actually devoted to Mary. Yeah, I, I venerate and love Mary and all that, but I don't say the rosary and I don't do all these things. But um, for once, I converted. I thought, well, you're Catholic, you're supposed to say the rosary. So I did it for a long time on the way to and from work. And um, somehow that got in there. And if there's an emergency, I find myself saying the Hail Mary reflexively mm-hmm. without even yeah. thinking about it. And you'd yeah. think I'd turn to, um, you know, what is it, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, is like one of my favorites because it covers mm. everything. But it's the Hail Mary. And so it, no. I can't feel it like you're saying, but it's definitely there for me in a way that's surprising. You know, um, if you ask me, the what's the real, real reason why you're so obsessed with the Divine Comedy? Why you love so much the Divine Comedy? And, and my because answer Mary's is, at the end. It's because <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's because of Canto Thirty Three of Paradiso. I see the entire poem as, uh, uh, you know. You're, you're basically preparing for that, just for that. And uh, I, I'm not really a, a crier type of person, but every single time I read that uh, invocation to Mary from uh, in, in the first part of Canto 33, tears come out of my eyes every single time. It was so incredibly beautiful. Well, I, and unfortunately, I don't remember it well enough to know that bit of it and maybe that's the same canto or maybe it's not but the thing i love about that i think of heaven all the time the way dante described it Um, and then i have to go no it was fiction it's fine it's it's a good representation it's fiction but i keep going well because when we get to heaven we're gonna it's gonna be like a big auditorium and oh no wait hold on a big stadium uh but the thing is is what i love about that is dante gets there and beatrice is gone and she kind of, I think it's Beatrice, who turns and kind of looks at him and is like, cool, you're here, or whoever it is. And then she lo- and then she settles back in to continue adoring and worshiping mm. God in the middle. And I'm just like, and that kind of gives me that absorption and love and contentment of seeing the face of God mm. that I don't know. Somehow that conveys a feeling to me of heaven that I'm like... I cannot wait to do that. And normally I would not say that, you know. Um, and then, of course, his description at the end I, of, I, of I, God in the middle, which is just transcendent. I mean. I, I am so happy right now because uh, somehow, I don't know how, 
we got to um, we ended up speaking about the the brightest light and this canto with this incredible light while we were starting oh. talking about uh, <laughs> Ecclesiastes. <You're right. laughs> we we went all all the way around and that's perfect perfect for this conversation. It's mm. the antidote to the bowl of darkness. <laughs> Take the bowl of darkness into the presence of God and Mary and Beatrice and all the saints. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. So yeah, it's uh, you know I'm also uh, hoping to inspire as many people as possible to to look beyond Inferno and to and pick up Purgatorio and Paradiso uh, as well because otherwise the oh, poem loses its the life affirming power that it has. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote down when uh, Julie and I did uh, the Divine Comedy on this podcast. Uh, we we spread it out through I think three. Uh, three shows, but um, I wrote down the very last line of Paradiso because it's so powerful to me, and it, it actually feeds into some of the stuff I was talking about about the stars and you know uh, feeling that and everything. But the last mm-hmm. line is you know at this point power failed high fantasy, but like a wheel in perfect balance turning, I felt my will and my desire impelled by the love that moves the sun and other stars. Um, it, it gives me shivers yeah. in, in English, in English. Yeah. So think about it. Yeah. The original, right? Yeah. Right, but it's the same thing. You know, it's the same thing that Ecclesiastes does. It's, it's, it's again. I just love that word location. You know, it's like putting yourself in the right spot, and um, considering yourself. You know, like looking through the right lens, um, but but considering yourself, uh, it's like I'm an ingredient in God's life. Rather than right. God is an ingredient in mine, right? Right. Yeah, beautiful. And yeah, I'm gonna have yeah. to mark that in my book. Mm. That is, that's exactly it. Yeah. And my goodness, you know, a lot of people would listen to that and think, "Uh, who wants that? Who wants to be part of God's life? I want my own thing." <laughs> and I'm just like, but it's so rich and full. And you can never see the end of it. I mean, that's that's why the three of us are here. We would never have met. <laughs> I'm, yeah, you know? no question. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I found myself uh, try, trying to answer the, the question um, again of an atheist friend because there are so many in this world today. <laughs> You're a very friendly guy. And <laughs> who was asking? Um, he was asking, you know, uh, why isn't uh, the Christian faith uh, easy to explain? It should be very simple, very easy to explain. And you know, you can take many different approaches to this question because, on one hand, love is easy because God is love. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really. It doesn't need to. You don't need to admit that it's complicated. However, uh, I went back to Chesterton. And uh, I think he was in um, Orthodoxy, oh, possibly. such a good book. It's such yeah. a great, great book oh, that I yeah. keep going back to. Mm-hmm. Um, where, uh, and I'm going to completely get the, the words wrong, you know, but the concept, he, he brought up the beautiful image of this key that is a key that is very, uh, made, made in a very complex way with many different little teeth that go up and down, up and down. And you look at it and you say, oh my God, this is a really complicated key. But, you know, the way that it fits into the human soul 
is absolutely perfect. Hmm. There's no there's no key that fits so well into into the human being, into the human um, soul. And I, I love that type of metaphor. He was such a genius from a visual perspective. <laughs> he was great with that stuff. Well, and I always think of things, I never come up with them at the right time, so you know. But um, things like, well, how do you breathe? It's easy. Air goes in, air goes out. But what happens to the air once it goes in? That's very complicated. The human body is very complicated. <laughs> how deep do you want to get? Mm -hmm. On Christianity, you know, I mean, anything that's really, I mean, look at DNA. That's very complicated. But a new baby, well, it was just born. Here it is. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not fair to say it should be simple. Yeah. That person's love for his wife or his, even his dog is probably not going to be as simple as that. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, and 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 as very often happens with in discussions with uh, atheist people, it's always uh, it's always you know uh, it ends up in some type of uh, um, a constant uh, uh, theoretical or verbal attack, uh, yes. you know, towards the faithful, where you kind of wonder. Why do you feel the need to attack if, if you are serene in the location <laughs> where you are? <laughs> no? Yes. Mm, that's, that's the question that I kind of walk away well, with. Um, they like to win an argument, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why on... Uh, and that's why we were saying with Scott, uh, if you, in your very little grain of contribution that you can bring with your life you are able to show that it's possible to to have any conversation with uh, um, love and respect any type of conversation doesn't matter what yeah then i think you are actually bringing a little bit of, of um light you're actually making the world better in a sense mm -hmm. yeah I, I agree with you yep well and i would say too you know as counterintuitive as this seems, and it, it doesn't apply to everybody who's, you know, very aggressive, maybe, about attacking a Christian's beliefs, but at least there, they care on some level. I mean, <sighs> I've, and the worst thing is for somebody who's completely indifferent. Mm. My mother is completely indifferent, completely. Mm. I didn't mm. think it was possible. But she's living with us now, and um, and that's all fine. And we try to not be too churchy around her and all that kind of thing. But you know, this is when you're talking about, you know, is is my life part of God's or God's part of mine? <laughs> um, Scott, we were like, oh man, we talk about faith all the time. Now we're having to talk around corners, and you know, she doesn't care about what this saint said this morning in the readings, and you know. <laughs> yeah. so. Um, but she, you can say anything you want. She's like, oh, uh -huh, that's nice that you think that done and so um you know that's a whole different ball game yeah it's uh it's difficult to understand when uh, personal differences become so so vast um, mm -hmm. it, it's difficult for us to um understand that we are all all of us made in his image and and for and for him um even you know even if there is a an apparent dryness um, we and, and that's maybe all that we see, but I, I you know, 
I do believe, and I, and I, I, I know that I know people like that in my life as well, in my family as well. And uh, I see the dryness. I know that I've been uh, gifted with uh, whatever the opposite of dryness is uh, <laughs> from from God. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also, in some way, uh, kind of understand uh, why they are there um, and, uh, and 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 the role they play. I don't know. I wouldn't. I would not be able to articulate it. I would not be able to say it. But uh, I have a, a an instinct, a feeling about it. Well, and I think, um, and maybe I'm just applying everything to Ecclesiastes, but mm-hmm. I think also, I, I really always think of Ecclesiastes as being kind of passionate and interested, but I'm like, actually, it also is kind of indifferent in a lot of ways too, isn't it? Sure, um, in some ways, for, absolutely. Yeah, just like, oh, this and this and this, eh, well, whatever, you drink <laughs> and be merry, tomorrow we die. <laughs> We all die at the same place, a great equalizer, right? Or we yeah. all end up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Who because, cares? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you said it well um, a few moments ago, um, before we started uh, to talk about the divine comedy, I, you mentioned the fact that we, you know, that Ecclesiastes goes beyond the simple ideology. Like, for example, Epicureanism, you know, you have, you have this uh, sense of, enjoy life, enjoy whatever life can give you, and then don't care about anything because once you're dead, you're dead. That is a type of philosophy that many people had in history, and maybe some some people have today as well, but it's different from uh, Kohelet, because Kohelet goes deeper, goes darker, no? And and, and that's why maybe in um, uh, during the Middle Ages, there were all these heresies uh, here and there. Um, I, 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 I know that Epicureanism one, was one of these where they didn't believe in uh, in souls, life after after death, etc. So they were uh, considered as heretics. But the the world was kind of whole from a, from this point of view. It wasn't a broken a broken world like Ecclesiastes world. And that's why uh-huh. there is almost a danger in Ecclesiastes. You know, I remember my Italian literature teacher many, many years saying that that Leopardi is a dangerous poet because Leopardi is a is the bearer of this type of deep pessimism of uh, of Quelle. And, yeah. and and it's dangerous because when you um you you know <clears throat> put it in front of young people or people who are easily or maybe in a moment of weakness, whatever, there is the danger that it contaminates you, like poison. No? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely things that are like that. You know, so, <clears throat> down this road lies despair. <laughs> Abandon yeah. all hope, all ye. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe that's the genius enter, of, right? <laughs> of them who, the people who included it is... Because they've also got Job in there. Uh, Job gets God to answer him. But look what happens to Job. It's not those people who were killed because of the whim of the um, the prosecutor or the devil, whatever. I can't remember the name, but you know, uh, hmm. those kids aren't brought back to life. You got a lot of stuff going on there, yeah, and yeah. God's answer, of course, is where <laughs> for you, and what kind of questions do you have? <laughs> you got nothing. 
That's right. Um, and, and of course, there's much more to it than that. It's definitely better than that. But it can be looked at very much the same way. It's yes. just more of a dialogue between people talking through what are all these problems and arguing back and forth about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe they just looked at this and went, this is just one more way to look at that same thing. Yeah, it's a little crazy how... It doesn't seem right, though. You're right. Yeah, how, <clears throat> you know, in the book of Job, um, I would say, uh, from uh, my limited knowledge of the Bible, that it, I feel like it really fits in the Bible, but I still have, you know, questions about the Ecclesiastes. Mm. With uh, yeah. with all its despair, I, the only answer that I can give is, okay... Because it's so antithetic and so opposite, maybe that's the reason why it's been chosen. Um, mm. But I am not, I'm not yet completely convinced. If we were mm. the, the last uh, three surviving human beings on Earth, Julie, Scott, and Tommaso, <laughs> and uh, we were to decide which books of the Bible to keep and which ones to... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Ecclesiastes. We loved you well, old friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that's hilarious. We can only carry this many pages on us. Which yeah. ones are we taking? <laughs> that reminds me of uh, The Bible Repairman by Tim Powers. Where, uh, you never did read there, that. It's just a short story, right? But in mm-hmm. the short story, a guy could – someone would bring him his bi- their Bible, and he would use a soldering iron to remove the passages that they didn't want. And he'd burn them out of their Bible. So if oh, you wanted anything wow. about adultery removed, you'd go to him, and he'd all the passages about adultery he would burn out of their Bible, and uh, give it back to him. But that's what he was. He was the Bible repairman. <laughs> He's a real Thomas Jefferson, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That is such uh, a clever story. Yeah, so clever. right. Yeah. Tim Powers is a clever guy for sure. Wow. He's well, too smart we're, for me. Yeah. Well, we're reaching the end here, folks. Um, is there anything else we'd like to say about it? It's uh, it's amazing. Um, my, I could throw in uh, my my last thing, yeah, which please. would be uh, I, I really enjoyed the passage about friendship. There was a little passage in chapter four, um, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they are warm, but how can one be warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I, I, I think that that's a great passage. And uh, I remember reading that. Yeah, yeah. and a, a threefold cord, Wonderful. that... Uh, that reminds me of the Trinity, doesn't it? You know, yeah. a threefold cord. So I thought you were going to say us, but I'll oh, let yeah. the well, Trinity us. trumpet. Us is exactly what I meant. <laughs> we're exactly like the Trinity. Somehow, I'm not sure how, but exactly, exactly like Oh, it. wait, I took us into very dangerous territory. <laughs> but I will say also, so that's a little bit of, of appreciation and hope for something that's not just bleak. And yep. it made me think of... Um, One of my favorite little bits, which was in chapter 9, verse 7. And it said, Go eat your bread with enjoyment and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And part of the translation was uh, that could be because God has long ago approved what you do. Mm-hmm. And they were saying the commenters, uh, St. Gregory of Agrigento, perhaps, would say basically that these are the things of our lives that that um, the true believing in God bring us. We can eat our bread and enjoy it. We can drink our wine with a merry heart. God mm. loves us, and all is right with the world in that way. And and He's implying that by what He says. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean it mean that you know three sentences later He's not turning on it. <laughs> but in that way, it's like you say broken, but or in pieces maybe in sections. But um, but there are things like that where I would look at it and go, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's okay to do these things, and that's part of faith too. Yes, indeed. Yeah, there's a time for everything. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> I really need to find that. <laughs> oh, no, wait, I know. To everything, turn, turn. <laughs> no, the birds didn't sing it well, and I really don't sing it well. So I remember because I was more of a kid whenever that came out, um, and I remember. Reading the Bible at one point, going, the bird song is in here. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And I went, oh no, wait, it went the other way. Got mm-hmm. it. You bet. Oh. That's wonderful. Well, okay. how about you, Tom? Do you have uh, something to share with yeah. us to close out? You know, um, this is uh, I. <laughs> The only question I would have at this point is when is part two for me? I can <laughs> can, can I book myself for twenty twenty three? Oh my gosh! Um, I, I was thinking the same thing. Yes, I, I'm uh, I'm loving the fact that uh, God has put people like you in the world for uh, uh, for me to find myself, find my location, which is um, some a, a word that we have found that really has important echoes for me, and. Uh, um, uh, and I'm I'm even more even more grateful uh, now that I see that that I that I know that. So, thank you. Oh, uh, thank you, Tom. Oh, Tom. Yeah, thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Really yes. thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, oh man, yeah. Good. Yep. So fantastic. Um, let's see. Where are we at next time? Oh, actually, I remember now. Because we're going to read a murder mystery. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh. No, so Julie picked us a book called Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather. And um, in my head, that was going to be a murder mystery. So I started to read it the other day. And it is not that. It is about uh, the establishment of a diocese in the uh, New Mexico Territory in the United States in the 1800s, which is a perfectly good thing to write a book about, but there are no murders. I suppose. <laughs> no one's getting, sh- no one's shooting someone and taking the candlesticks. That's right. Or are they? they... You haven't gotten to the end. <laughs> I have not. I have not. Oh, too fun. Uh, yeah, but oh, I'm goodness. really enjoying it so far. And uh, I'm probably about... is, is, um, is this kind of in line with what we were chatting yesterday about, Scott, about the creation of this new uh, churches under the broader Protestant umbrella? Um, no, not this one. It's actually a bishop and a priest oh, okay. in the early days of the United States are, are out, um, you know, in, in, a, in a recently... Uh, 
the territory of New Mexico became part of the United States. So um, the book opens, well, we'll get into that next time, but the book opens with uh, uh, them visiting a cardinal in Rome and basically saying, hey, we want to establish this diocese. We need some clergy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody who's out there, most of them are Indians or Mexicans. And the priests who started all the uh, missions that went through that area have been gone for a long time. And so they haven't had the sacraments in forever. The priests that are there, some of them have fallen away from how they should practice the faith. So it's really, um, it's like historical fiction about a real bishop and his real friend who went out there and did that together. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that, Scott. Um, I did not know that it was, I I was assuming there was some facts. Bishop Lamey, I think, was his name, really. Yeah, he was amazing. The book uh, was written in the 1920s, Tom. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll be listening. I'll be listening. And the person who wrote it is not Catholic, but she might as well have been. I was looking, going, she had to have had some Catholic really informing her. It is uh, so good. Very good. I love it. I just finished rereading it, and I, I was crying at the end. So <laughs> when death so came beautiful. for the Archbishop, or <laughs> well, yes, they were trying to catch death, but he took the Archbishop away. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Yes, <laughs> very much looking forward to that. Again, thank you so much, Tom. You're right. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much, guys. You bet. Very we'll glad to be part of everybody. this. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you for being here. This was really great. It absolutely was. <laughs> yeah. Um, catch everybody next time. Take care, all. Yes. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.